1: hey holly hey dave how are you
2: today on the what difference does it make podcast
1: i'm doing spectacularly today thank you for asking how are you
2: i'm good we actually have a guest in the garage instead of our virtual studio
1: we do we have today we have michael lockwood michael lockwood is from the band lions and ghosts who had their debut album in 1987 and is being re-released. The name of the record is Velvet Kiss, Lick of the Lime.
2: Now available on Sparkle Plenty Records. I'm thrilled that Michael came into our garage to talk. This was a band that played a lot in Los Angeles and it's a band that we probably saw. And we will talk to Michael about that and what he has been up to since Lions and Ghosts dissipated. Like ghosts, they are now back. He has a company called Sparkle Plenty.
1: And all the other artists that he's worked with, he has been playing with artists like Amy Mann and Fiona Apple for years. So he is quite accomplished himself.
2: Yes, an accomplished musician. And he got the band back together, which is always exciting. But before we get into the What Difference Does It Make podcast show, Holly, tell us how they can find us in other places besides the podcast spectrum.
1: Did you say podcast show? Yeah,
2: I did. It is a <laughs> podcast is, show.
1: Welcome to our podcast show, our podcast radio program. You can find us on social media. If you would like to see Michael Lockwood in the studio with us, you can find us on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and also on other social media at WDDIM Podcast.
2: So why don't we just get right into it right now? This is Michael Lockwood of Lions and Ghosts on the What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Hey, Michael. Hello there. <laughs> good afternoon. Good Greetings. What brings you here today? What What is your... I'm coming here for a chat. A, a nice chat. Very good. And thank you. Yeah, so it's... Oh thank
0: boy. You. I see where this is going quickly. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, so
2: this is a... Um. It's a return for lions and ghosts and also a reemergence, I guess. Or it's a rebirth. A rebirth. What do you call this? Or
0: maybe this is the first birth. I, I'm not quite sure <laughs> yet, you know? Yeah, I... I'm not quite sure what this is turning into, but I like it. I'm getting lots of great feedback from people. It started out as a cathartic therapy session and then (laughs) has turned into talking to a bunch of new people and sort of new music for some, you know. Lions and Ghost was a a fairly popular band in Southern California, but outside of that, we didn't really see much. We actually sold about a hundred thousand copies in California, but it was crickets everywhere else. Mm. We call it the Yoingo Boingo syndrome. It, it is mm-hmm. like that. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like that. They were massive here. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get arrested in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. you know?
1: So how did you reconnect?
0: Funny story. I received an email from an, a local L.A. musician. Said I'm working on some new material and I'd love it if you'd come play guitar for me. And I thought, this is great. I have a home studio, so I'll pour some coffee. I'll keep my pajamas on and I'll just get in front of the computer and start recording. And then immediately he sent me another email and said, I booked the studio in Hollywood. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that the studio was owned by Rick Parker, who was the former singer of Lions and Ghosts. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen Rick in maybe... (laughs) like 20 years or something. Wow. It had been a very long time. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll pack up my stuff, I'll listen to the the tracks a bit and uh, made some mental notes. And then I kind of got a little nervous because I hadn't seen Rick in so long and the studio can be a very personal setting. Mm-hmm. Funny, I, I walked through the door and he's sitting in front of the board and I swear to God, not a day had passed mm. since I had seen him. And we sat down and we just started chatting immediately. And it felt so good in a, you know, as an older being to be able to reflect back on our time because we were all in our early 20s, maybe like 24 years old, going through that process together, which is pretty intense. We just sat and I was able to acknowledge him and be able to tell him what that experience did and how it got me ready for so many other journeys in my life. It just it felt very adult and, and really good. <laughs> so we sat and chatted on this guy's dime for hours. Uh, and then thought, we better get to work. So I ended up recording three songs, super fun. And as we parted ways, we decided to share a Dropbox folder with each other of new material and see what would happen. That story will go on and on. But in the process of reconnecting and working on some music with Rick, I started thinking about the fact that it was really a shame that I can open my phone and my friends can all open their phone and listen to anything on the planet, but not the Lions and Ghost records because they just weren't available anywhere. So that started me on the journey of, I have to figure out how to do this.
1: I'm curious. I mean, why wouldn't it have been? Was it a record company? Was it a label thing? How did you end up being able to get the music out there?
0: The the masters belong to uh, EMI. And EMI has been bought several times over and they're sitting somewhere very dusty. And uh, in conversations with my now manager, Jeff Keller, who was a fan of Lines and Ghosts, we just started talking about it and we had a list of things we wanted to do and that was on the bottom of the list. At some point, I said, you know, you start nosing around. Can you start sending emails to somebody and figure out how we do this? So he and the people at Deco Entertainment were able to get things back for me. I dug out a bunch of extra stuff to put with it and we remastered it and we have it out there now, which is bizarre. It was surprisingly easy. Once you just start asking and start looking.
1: We've talked to a lot of artists recently who made, you know, a lot of music in the 80s that now own the rights to their own music. Is that how it happened? I mean, when you researched it,
0: it's happening (laughs) on on that end, because, yeah, there is at at some point it's coming back to us and we're at that point for our first record. Yeah. So we're very lucky. I've had a lot of guys come up and ask now. They're like, so who did you talk to?
1: Well, congratulations. And you can consider yourself a trailblazer for others.
0: Uh, we'll see about that. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. that's yeah, true.
1: I mean, to be, I, I would think as an artist, that would be a big deal. I think it is. I mean, it's,
0: it's been a few years. It was interesting to go down that. And through that, I did sort of rediscover and remember a lot of things. And it was also nice in this day and age to listen to it compared to all the music that's come to pass. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the record really is a good record and a great sounding record. Sonically, it's really held up well, so I'm very proud. As you should be.
2: You call yourselves an God LA band? God. Are you all from LA, or where are you hail from? M-
0: maybe one person's from LA. Okay, well, <laughs> okay. I was born in Hawthorne. I'd, I'd still call that up. That's sure. LA. Right? Yeah. That's
3: yeah.
0: Beach Boys, right? Beach There's Boys Red sure. and Red Cross. Sure. And Red Cross. Very good. that's yep. yeah, See. <laughs> yeah. You know, the three other guys were in a band called Banner, and they were a mod band in the 80s. Mm-hmm the drummer went on vacation with his then girlfriend and I was playing in a top 40 band and he saw me play and came up to me and said, I'm in this band and we're looking for another guitar player. So I went and I auditioned and I joined the band within, you know, minutes of auditioning. And it it worked out great because we were all into the same thing. And we sort of had this idea that we wanted to sort of do a mashup of a few things, which Really, it was just T-Rex, I guess. We well, thought it was a bunch of things.
2: Well, they did you, like, I mean, there was the Recycler. Did you ever respond to, w- write your own copy of like, because that was really important. Who's bands? What bands are you into? I, it I, was I, always a mishmash. Like, okay, I'm into T-Rex. Or, you know, I love Olivia newton a Mixing of Yep. of different genres. That was a
0: good mix. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this guy heard you playing in a top 40 band. So you're playing physical or, you know, Olivia Newton-John's physical <laughs> or something. And he's like, I love that guitar tone or something. Yeah. What was, what was or it? Or A Flock of Seagulls, perhaps. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Something.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I, he just came up, started chatting me up. And I knew his girlfriend oddly. You know, he said, look, we're, we rehearsed down in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. I, I knew really nothing about them. And then he... I think he gave me a cassette of demos that they had done, and I loved it. It was then probably more, it had kind of a goth tinge to it. <laughs> it's really odd. I, I was very fortunate in that soon after joining the band, we started having a very large following. And within a year, I think that we actually, there was a bidding war to Sinus because it was that time period, you know, it was all the hair metal bands on Sunset Boulevard, there was the post-punk scene, there was the UK thing that was happening over here with Gene Loves Jezebel, Flesh for Lulu, you know, that kind of scene. So I was super fortunate. That's how I met those guys. So we weren't high school friends. We're all thrown in a room together and we made that record.
1: The first record, you actually recorded it at Tony Visconti's studio. How did that come together?
0: Boy, that was luck of the draw. As a new band and you you get signed and you're getting ready to do your record, the A&R guy's talking to you about producers and photographers and everything that's going to happen on that first project. So we made a dream list of who we wanted to work with. And one of the people on that list was Tony Visconti. And so he was sent material, I heard, and, <laughs> and he opted out and said, no, thank you. A little heartbroken, oh. but... On the other hand, there's a lot of great other people on the list that we talked to. And one of those people was Peter Walsh. And Peter had worked with Peter Gabriel. He'd worked with Gene Loves Jezebel. He'd worked with Simple Minds for years. And Pete was English and lived in the UK. And we get word back that he'd love to work with us, but he can't leave the country because his wife was pregnant. So we're like, oh, we have to go to England to record. Okay, that sounds okay (laughs) by us. That's fine. We get there and we find out that Pete's favorite studio to work at is called The Good Earth in Soho, and that studio belongs to Tony Visconti. Okay, so, look at that. So, nothing awkward there. No, uh, no, <laughs> I don't, I'm well, sure he was also busy, but he yeah. did find time for your project. And what he did that's the funny part of the story uh. is that we spent three months in his studio, we saw him almost every day, and he was lovely. He was so kind and so nice. You know, we didn't get any of the good T-Rex stories or the Bowie stories, but super kind guy. At some point, I can't remember if it was him or his manager, who was the studio manager, came in while we were working. And it was said that Tony would love to do string arrangements if you guys are up for that. We were like,
1: yeah. No, Thank your your turn to turn him down. <laughs> no <laughs> Oh, <way>. no
0: thanks. <laughs> right.
2: Did you imagine strings? I mean, that sounds like so <laughs> bizarre for, you know, your, your mid-20s. Like, oh, yeah, you know what this guitar-based drums
0: needs is some, uh, some strings. But, you know, I, I'll say this about all of the people in Lines and Ghosts. We were all Anglophiles. We were all big fans of the Beatles. We were all fans of the T-Rex records, the Bowie records. And all that stuff is laced with tons and tons of symphonic instruments and and small chamber stuff. I mean, one of the reasons I loved the T-Rex records was always the matching of guitar bits and string bits together. That really did it for me. For whatever reason, it really resonated for me. So, we had done demos, and in some of those demos, we'd put on these fake synth strings that were just horrific in the day, and we always knew that we were going to cut the song Man in a Car with strings. day that was to sit in the studio and watch him he conducted mm-hmm. the string section and we had no idea it was it was sort of pre midi and synthy and and that we really didn't know what we were going to get and okay. so we we're just all sat in there and were mesmerized and you know and uh he did strings for a song called uh, when the moon is full and he uh suddenly popped in with the string section doubling all the guitar parts so i was done uh, I, that was my day.
1: It's like a dream come true. No, I mean, you're it was recording your first true, yeah. album. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this brings me to the title
2: of the the record. Okay, so I think Velvet Kiss. I think of a tongue, and then I think uh, lick of the lime. Is is this a dirty? Is this like? Uh, is this some sort of expression? Like how long have we known each
0: other? <laughs> okay. So. I wish I could tell you where it came from. We had we all came up with slogans for that band, and we put them on flyers and posters <laughs> Slo- and whatever. We can- like slogan like what? Well, one that you would probably understand was "Wake up, sex junkies." <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't actually know. I'm sure that's from the mind of Rick Parker. It's entirely possible that it has. Some sort of sexual contact, okay,
1: (laughs) without throwing him under the bus. No, well, he's not here, so we could talk about
2: him.
0: He wouldn't mind, actually, I don't think.
2: Ah. did you guys always get a lot? I mean, there's always the the dynamic between the singer and the guitarist, and you know, the singer always had you always accused of uh, LSD, lead singer disease. Was there, I've never heard, you know, well, I that's why I'm saying (laughs) it for the, yeah. Was there any of that? I mean, because usually the folk, you know, he gets the attention.
0: I'll say this. I look back with only fond memories. At the time, it wasn't unlike having three other wives in a bad relationship. Yeah. It's it's not that easy. I mean, I always think about it this way. Here's a bunch of guys in their early 20s who are emotionally like 17. I can say that safely now that I'm oh, yeah. older. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to figure yourself out as a, as a person. You're trying to figure yourself out musically. So it's a lot going on for a young person. And then suddenly the work ethic, it's not so easy because there's a lot of money being involved. And you realize this is my whole entire career right now. So I need to make good decisions. And it's hard to make a good decision when you've slept in a van for two weeks or, you know, or shared a room with the guys that you drove all day with. (laughs) But at the time, yeah, there was difficulties. I don't think that Rick and I had any sort of difficult relationship as opposed to everybody. It really did sort of pair off at some point. The bass player Todd Hoffman and Rick seemed to be closer. They spent more time together and the drummer Michael and I tended to be closer. Those were our brothers, right? What was the songwriting process? Was it... Yeah, who wrote the song? Did, or was it
2: all collaboration Did you have? Did everyone write? Was it a production of Lions and Ghosts? It yeah. was
0: a bit of everything. Okay, it, it was certainly not traditional. That's for sure. The only thing that's traditional about Lions and Ghost songwriting is the new song where Rick and I sat across from each other with acoustic guitars and wrote it like singer-songwriters write a song. Back in the band day, somebody would come in with an idea that just might be banging on a drum. And so everyone would figure out how to do their thing on that, and it would morph into this and morph into that. All the lyrics were written by Rick. Ultimately, it's easy for me now to say, none of it would have been without him. Yeah. You know, but at the time, everybody was bringing in all their ideas, whether they were half baked or fully realized.
1: You were working on something else in Rick's studio. You came there to work on something else. And yeah. that's how you could, if not for that meeting, would you be working as Lions? You didn't see anything for Lions I and Ghosts
0: before running be sitting, into I him? I would probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if right. it had not Amazing. been like one right. random email. Right that comes in to play guitar on three songs it's just it's kind of mind-blowing you know and even (laughs) it was great sitting with rick and talking to him and and rekindling things and talking about all this stuff also just that hey do you want to share some music like it was just a quick thought going out the door and even that if i can go on about that for a second was odd because uh You know, he sent me some stuff. I sent him some stuff and it was nothing was getting done. It was like, oh, I like that. Oh, I like Mm -hmm. that. Okay, but there's like no exchange of anything, right? Yeah. At some point, Rick said, why don't you come back over the studio? So we came there and I said, what about that thing that I sent you and I played it for him? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So we did a little bit of recording together and then we had a friend of Rick's come in and play drums to that. And then... Rick said, why don't you take it to your home studio and finish the guitars and everything? I said, great. Okay, cool. So I finished all the guitars and I sent them back via Dropbox. And I sent him a little note and said, oh, by the way, here, I just, I decided to go down this path. Don't like it. I'm not married to it. Whatever. It's a super casual relationship. Crickets. Oh. I was like, well, I guess he didn't really enjoy that as much as I enjoyed doing it. So I didn't hear from him. Some time went by, and I thought, I'm going to send him one more little text. So I sent him a text, nothing. So I went, okay, it's all right. So it's not going to happen. That's not a big deal. So life goes on, and then we all delve into COVID and the pandemic, and this is my sort of the song that shouldn't and COVID story all at the same time. (laughs) Some time went by, like over a year went by, and I was laying on my couch, sick as a dog with COVID. You know, you're on your phone, which you shouldn't be, and uh, in full fever dream mode. And I went, you know, I actually can't let this go. I was having some, like, mortal mm-hmm. moment. And I went, I'm going to reach back to Rick. I reached back to him, and he answered me within seconds. And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm out in the desert, blah, blah, blah. But when I get back, yeah, let's do that. Let's finish that song. He'd never received any of the files I sent him. That's why I never heard back from him. So he never saw the notification. <laughs> so okay. once I started talking to him after that, we finished the song within a few weeks
1: okay that's weird also so, technology well, no,
0: yeah. well right no I know I, I, yeah. I'm sure that, that happens a lot of times like yeah. you yeah. think
2: yeah broken relationships because of texting it used to be like you had to make a phone call that, that's and, true you know,
0: like, no. and you can't read emotion or text we all know that so Right. it's yeah. like what does that
1: mean yeah but you get a year of what the hell
0: yeah 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 right yeah well that's what it's like being in a band
1: yeah
2: okay. <laughs> we are talking with Michael Lockwood of Lions and Ghosts and we will be right back
1: Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Michael Lockwood of the band Lions and Ghosts. As I
2: looked at your PRPs, apparently you opened up, you were the the house band for whenever anyone needed a, an opening band. God, weren't <laughs> we?
0: That's true. Yeah. That we must have opened for anybody we, during
2: that time period. We need an opening band type. Oh, I got one. Yeah. Lions. yeah. Got... They played last <laughs> night at the Palladium. We'll yeah. get them over here. It's yeah. no
0: problem. Was it because you were always available? or, or what else? <laughs> Actually, we were. We worked a lot. We played a lot. We worked a lot. And if we weren't playing a show, we were making a T-shirt or we were printing flyers or we were going to concerts and passing out flyers. That was yeah. the big thing then. Yeah. We had our own shows and we would play the Roxy or Club Lingerie or one of the ones that were out then. But also... I wish I could remember I think Mark Geiger was the uh, agent for Lions and Ghosts and I think Mark worked at a big agency and so when The Alarm came to town Oh yeah Lions and yeah. Ghosts When yeah. Jean Loves Jezebel came to town Lions and Ghosts and we played with Guns and Roses their manager was good friends with our manager and we were all part of different scenes playing the same clubs so we a lot of times we could have played with a punk band or right. we could have played with a pop band or a heavy metal hair band. And I remember the night we played at the Roxy with Guns and Roses, that was the night they got signed to Geffen Records. And at that time period, there wasn't a lot of competition, I didn't feel like. I remember as they announced they got signed, I remember looking at everybody else in our band, I'm like, oh God, we're so close. Yeah. We're That's right there. All our friends are starting to get signed. Are we going to get signed? Because we didn't really fit in with any group. That was a problem. But To answer your question, yeah, we opened a lot, (laughs) a lot lot of shows. And uh, uh, fortunately, I got to see a lot of great bands then.
1: (laughs) That seems like a good thing, like to be a go-to, you're thought of, you're top of mind.
0: If you go see the church, we're playing with the church. And so all those people, this is all pre-internet, of course, right? It's all pre-social media. That's how you found out about new music. You went Mm -hmm. to the record store, you looked at the end caps to see what was there. You go to a show who's opening, and if you go early enough... You get to see a lot of yeah. music, right? So, yeah, the list was a long list of all. Uh, mostly bands from the UK, it seemed like, at the time. I mean, super fortunate experience. And I think that helped our following in town, too.
2: Sure. Yeah. Okay, so Guns N' Roses' magic moment was at the Roxy. When was your What was your show when you got signed? Was it was it there, a show? There was no show. There was no show. <laughs> no. <laughs> I,
0: I do remember there was this moment where I thought, it's coming. <laughs> I really felt it. I actually, I get chills thinking about it because I remember... That feeling, it's almost like when you're gambling and you're starting to win a little bit, you go, oh, my God, I better leave. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I right? Can, <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. is it going to happen? Yep. Is it going to happen? Exactly. But we were asked to record a demo of the song Passion that's on the mm-hmm. first album. We did this with a movie producer named uh, Gary Getzman. And Gary was working on a film called Modern Girls. And that soundtrack is amazing. Unfortunately, we're not on it. We weren't signed <laughs> And he had heard a demo that we did of Passion and he wanted to record one for the movie. So we went and did that and he brought down his friend from MCA Records to see us while we did that. And he came to us and he said, this is going to happen. Okay. And so that sort of, at that moment I went, ah, it's, we're really, really close. And then EMI got involved and they started talking about it and we chose to go with EMI at the last moment.
3: When I look at you,
0: So
1: you're
0: saying that you had choices. We uh, we (laughs) have, which is a bizarre thing, right? (laughs) But uh, yeah, we did have a choice to go with either company. And we knew the personality of the two guys. They're both amazing A&R guys. I mean, there's days when I wonder what would happen if we would have made the other choice. But uh, (laughs) I'm happy we went down the path we went down. Modern
2: Girls starred Virginia Madsen. That's right. And Daphne Zuniga. Zuniga. Oh, my God. Yeah. One Tree Hill and uh, Sideways. Sideways. Virginia oh. Madsen from Sideways, if I remember correctly.
1: From Sideways, I don't. That's remember, the I'm wine. Sure.
2: That's the wine tasting movie. Oh, what a wonderful movie! Yeah, Modern Girls. It all. Yeah. It all goes back it's to full body. circle. Thanks, thanks to Modern
0: Girls. <laughs> so
1: it actually that's So it wasn't in a club. It wasn't. It wasn't a live performance. No, where... it
0: wasn't. It was sort of conversations with the manager, and then we kind of found that. But I, I do feel like that night in the studio when that all happened, I went, "It's here. It's it's
2: it's happening. <laughs> it's all happening."
0: We mentioned movies. You've you've got
2: to opportunity to work on some movies uh, or with some artists. I mean, one of my favorites
0: is Amy Mann's contribution to Magnolia. And you oh. were what did what was your role in, in all of that? That's a, a funny time period. For most of the '90s, I had again great fortune in falling in with some great artists, and I ended up working with Amy for years, about a decade. And while I was working with her. All things go in cycles. You work on a record and then you go on the road and then Mm -hmm. there's time off. During my cycle with Amy, she sort of was winding down and I started working with Fiona Apple. And at the time, Fiona was dating Paul Thomas Anderson. So I knew of Paul and I knew that he had worked with John Bryan and and Michael Penn and uh, lots of people in the circle of friends that I was in. At some point, I heard that Paul was interested in some of Amy's music and We had been in and out of the studio starting to record what would become Bachelor Number 2. And Amy and I had written a song together called Driving Sideways. And I remember walking into a show that was playing with Fiona and Paul came over to me and he said, you're going to be very happy with me. You're going to be very pleased about what I'm doing. I'm like, give me more. I want to know what's going on. He goes, no, no, no. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. So he was really sort of unfolding it and... Amy had never really discussed what was happening either. So we had done most of her record, and we'd recorded uh, Driving Sideways. I think we did that with Brendan O'Brien, the producer.
2: Amazing.
0: And uh, Michael Mm -hmm. Penn was there, he played on the track too with us. Somehow it was said that Paul's doing a new movie, and I think the comparison was The Graduate in that the music was really gonna sort of drive the movie. And now in retrospect, I completely see why that comparison was made. But I went to the theater with a friend, I think, and watched it and was just in utter amazement at how all the songs connected and worked. And it's pretty thrilling to listen to all that and go, oh, that's me.
3: That's me. Oh, I played that. <laughs>
0: You know, that was a great, great thrill and a great project. So you play Largo a lot, I imagine. You know, what I played a lot was there was a place called the Alligator Lounge. Do you know? Oh, am Pico. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So before Largo, John Bryan used to do his shows at the Alligator Lounge and Amy would get up and play with him. In fact, the reason that I know Amy is because at some point... John Bryan had decided he wasn't going to play live anymore with Amy. He was still going to write with her and produce with her. And he was in a a local LA band called The Grays, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Fantastic band, Mm -hmm. right? So I have been good friends with Jason Faulkner for years. And Jason came to me and he said, you know, John was talking to me that he's leaving Amy and she's looking for somebody. And John and I feel like you're the perfect person to work with her. So Jason and I went and saw her play at the Roxy. I told Jason, I said, I said, So great, the music's so so good, and I mean, I live in the world of the kind of guitar playing that John and all those guys—we all got raised on the same records, Mm -hmm. right? So I said, yeah, I'd I'd love to figure out how to do that. So Amy came and met me, and she was with John Bryan and Jack Joseph Puig, the engineer and producer. We walked around Sunset Boulevard. We went to the Sunset Grill, had a garden burger or something, and I told Amy, I said, I'm really sorry. The only demo tape I have is this reel-to-reel of songs I've been working on, I gave her that. And she called me later that night and said, we're in the studio, would you like to come down? So I went down there and ended up playing on the song called Long Shot, which is the opening track for I'm Was Stupid. We sat and chatted all night long. And it was just so great and so magical. All right, so tell me about your own thing now. You got, tell me about Sparkle Plenty. You're
2: like running your own, you your own boss now. <laughs> yeah. so screw these other
0: guys.
1: We say uh, big Maha.
0: Sparkle Plenty. Another Lions and Ghosts slogan. <laughs> slogan? <laughs> <laughs> that was our. That was one of our slogans. And Black, I had to go sparkle. Okay, whatever it means, I don't know now. I knew in 1987. Okay, I've lost. my- And it was skin. hilarious yeah. back then. For some reason, it probably For was. Sure, That's scary. I don't know. It was um,
1: applicable to some to to some music and bands back then. Per- perhaps yes. That's right.
0: That's right. You're absolutely right yeah. <laughs> <summer, I guess. laughs> Okay. My now manager Jeff Keller had met me when he was quite young and he'd come to a lines and ghosts show. He asked me to autograph his lines and ghosts album. And I wrote sparkle plenty, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And like a... that, you know, a gazillion years later, Jeff had met me COVID and he'd written me through Instagram. He said, Hey, would you be interested in having a zoom meeting? I'm like, sure. The only Zoom <laughs> meeting I have is for school, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, right, right, yeah. Yeah. I started meeting with him once a week, just chatting to him. And I got to know him, he got to know me, and at some point he said, I think that we'd make a good team. I really believe in you and I want to help you. And I was thinking, it's been a long time (laughs) since somebody said that to me. I said, okay. He sent me a one-page contract. I'm like, really okay? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's amazing. (laughs) Two weeks later, he called me up and he said, look, I got you a record deal. I said, what? He said, I've got you a record deal with Deco Entertainment. They have amazing distribution. I have a relationship with them. I'm like, what what am I going to do with that? And he said, well, what do you want to do? I have to think about that. I'm not quite sure what you do with all of that. So started a list, and on that list was, you know, releasing the Lions and Ghost record. And during that time, I had been working with an artist named John Broder, who has this incredible project called Bird Streets. We had been making music via the Internet because he lived in New York, I lived in L.A., and nobody was touching or talking to each other, right? I felt like this might be amazing because I love John. I love his music. John doesn't have a manager. John doesn't have a record company, and people need to know about this guy. So I called Jeff Keller, and I said, look, I'm going to send you this thing I'm working on. It's with this guy from Bird Street. His name's John Broder. I had Amy Mann play bass on it. I had Buddy Judge from the Gray sing backgrounds on it. I had Amy's old drummer, John Sands, play drums on it. It was recorded everywhere, Mm -hmm. all over the phone. Yeah, that sounds good that's good can you do tambourine crazy yeah Yeah. Yeah, right so I had all those people play on it I sent it to Jeff and I said John needs help help John please this is you gave us this vehicle (laughs) and so let's use it for good great music out there. And yeah. I know that anybody can make a record in their bedroom on their laptop and they can put it out on tune core, but I've been through it. Jeff's been through it. Lots of people. We have lots of great advice to avoid bad things. Yeah. So I'm really happy that sparkle plenty has turned into this vehicle for the way we're children like lions <laughs> and ghosts or like, you know, that we're putting out a last minute soundtrack this month, last year during lockdown, I did a uh, soundtrack for a thriller movie and I, Oddly, in the last few weeks, it's just going crazy, and it's 2.5 million views on YouTube. And a, What is it called? <laughs> as, as the Village Sleeps. Okay.
2: okay. It's on
0: Amazon. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTubey. It is Tubi? now. Tubie. Tubi. 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 Sorry. <laughs> a friend of mine wrote it and did it on a shoestring budget, and he asked me to do the score, and I've always wanted to do that because I think oh, nice. of those terms anyway. But okay. that's what I've been doing the last week is sort of – sequencing and i i wanted to make it a more immersive experience so i put dialogue in and i just want it to be its own sort of song oh that's fun okay that's fun yeah Yeah, kind of like what quentin tarantino does exactly like what he does and he does it so well he's the best
2: Uh, a smart yet naive college girl all right well there you go organizes a birthday (laughs) celebration at her stepfather's cabin bringing together a volatile group of friends and family Mysterious party game, nightmares, reality, struggle to survive,
0: you know, all, all the elements to and, make a great soundtrack. And a full, I did, I did, gave it the full late 70s, early 80s treatment. Oh, it's, nice. it's all electronic. <laughs> um, no guitars were harmed in the making of the soundtrack. <laughs>
3: um, Of the cards from your game? Stray Cat. So,
2: she was trying to save me? Oh,
0: that, that yeah. must have been fun. Very cool. So much fun.
2: Wow. So, Sparkle Plenty's, uh, they've got we're, a we're lot busy. Going. Yeah. we We're
0: super busy. We have the new Lines and Ghost single. We have the first Lines and Ghost record. Okay. Oh, I have to ask
2: about the spelling. of girl I love you you had the opportunity to just use a U so girl is G-U-R-L-I-L-U-V and then they spell out Y-O-U instead of just a U that's right why okay so why if I mean if I was the A&R guy I would just go well why not just oh you have no
0: idea (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of (laughs) thoughts so so if you go backwards you know we're passing files back and forth Rick and I you can imagine how many different spellings (laughs) there were then right yeah he would change it, I would change it, he would change it, I would change it. Then the record company changed it and they fixed it all and spelled it all out oh. correctly.
1: Which is probably what I would have done. Of course. Yeah. She, she's
0: the grammar police. And then <laughs> we finished the artwork, which Rick Parker did the artwork for. Beautiful, actually. And um, yeah. <laughs> we get all of that back to proofread and to look at. Looks right. Looks good. You know, it's that big. It's the size of a postage <laughs> right, stamp right. right? It's all good. Everything's fine. So as we're Talking to everyone and checking that we've done everything correctly. I start looking at something and I send the lyrics and everything to uh, my manager, Jeff. Jeff goes, I think we have a problem. <laughs> I said, why? Because it was coming out within, I think, two weeks or a week or something. And uh, he sends it back. He goes, look at the artwork. The artwork's all spelled correctly. Oh. <laughs> so we panic. And I'm like, no, no. I don't know what to say, but I'm saying, no, we have to figure out how to fix this. Is that possible? Because if it's not possible, I'm not going to let it go this way. We have to do it. Look, we struggled to misspell all that shit. We got to get it. Right, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So lo and behold, up until the night before it actually came out, it was still smelled correctly. So I do see some interview publicity stuff and it's still spelled the wrong way but who knows what we can how we can misspell <laughs> so, it more later wait is
1: the wrong way the right way
0: the wrong way is the right
1: way okay
2: What was it? There was another movie story you had that you have to share that, that your PR person no, is gonna, that I yeah, yeah. That, I've,
0: that I've never shared. Oh okay.
1: Oh, it's a it's an exclusive. <laughs> it's an exclusive right here. Breaking news right yeah, now. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so the first foray into uh, film music came back with Lions and Ghosts was together. And before we were signed, actually. So, you know, playing a lot of shows doesn't equate to a lot of money. So you work like two or three jobs, whether it's a record store or a head shop or whatever it is. You have to make money to pay for rent and everything. So at some point, while everything's starting to become better for us, mm-hmm. we were asked to do a B-movie. And basically, we'd be the backup band. And they'd include a different singer and a different keyboard player. And it was at a sound stage in Hollywood. So... How much is it? It's like $1,300 each or something. That's a fortune. Yeah. You know, that's rent for three months, yeah. right? Back then. We said, sure. So we, we show up. We set up all the gear, some cameras. We meet the director. Then we meet the singer, who's shirtless and like, you know, just fully muscular, <laughs> ripped guy. And It was Danzig, wasn't it? It was not <laughs> Danzig, nor was it a Danzig movie or video. So, you know, the evening went on a super long time. I think we were there like eight hours, and we started late. And so we're just playing the song over and over, and I can't remember, but I think the name of the song was Bigger Than Life. Okay, You'll want to mark that down. Okay. <laughs> at one point during the shooting of this, the singer walks over and the director's giving him direction, and then he pulls out a bottle of, like, baby lotion or oil <laughs> or something and starts oiling him down to make him more glistening. We all raise a, a slight, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A slight owl, uh, eyebrow at that, but oh, okay, whatever, <laughs> this, this is Hollywood. This is Hollywood, right. And it's $1,300. <laughs> and it does, and it's $1,300. <laughs> it's very key, right? Okay, so we finish it, and then... Someone asked me if I wouldn't mind adding some guitar to the soundtrack and to play on the song. At this point, we're kind of thinking that the movie might be of the adult nature, (laughs) as you could have guessed. Were you in Chatsworth, or where were you? We were not in Chatsworth. (laughs) We were in Hollywood, really bizarre, in in a big giant sound studio. Months go by, and. The drummer in the band got a call from a photographer that had just worked with us. His name was Albert Sanchez, and he'd done a photo shoot, and interview magazine. It was kind of like, oh, this is all part of the big coming up thing. Well, he calls the drummer and he said, hey, are you, did you, um, did you guys, uh, there's this movie and are you guys the band in the movie? And he said, yeah, why? He goes, it's the largest selling gay porno. In the world right now. Nice. Bigger than life. With, Bigger uh, than left. Uh, <laughs> uh With his name was Jeff Stryker.
2: Oh, nice. <laughs> wow. So. Brush with greatness. Look so, at you.
0: So uh, <laughs> we have to see it. Yeah. We have to. So Did you have a
1: viewing party? We had a
0: viewing party. <laughs> yeah. And let's say there was a lot of tears. At first, they were happy tears, (laughs) and they became not happy tears. Oh, no. It's hysterical, and we never talked about it after that. We were (laughs) were all so like, uh, we weren't expecting that. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but we just weren't. No. Nobody nobody told you. That's amazing. We figured it was some sort of adult movie, but then we realized quickly it was of one just sort of ilk, right? So So what was your role in that? You weren't the pizza guys. No, we were on the... (laughs) He does a concert, and we're the band in the concert. Now, they show an audience in the movie, yeah. which was pretty big budget, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to start crying any second. It's what's going to happen. So, yeah, we, we had a viewing party with all our then-girlfriends. Oh, that's great. And as we got <laughs> deep into the movie, okay. pun intended, <laughs> um, we had to stop. But he had a little backstage party after we had played. Oh, nice. Yes, exactly.
2: Oh.
1: Wait, he had an actual no, no, backstage no, was, party? No,
2: in, a, in
0: the film. In the, in the film, <laughs> oh, okay. you, know, you cut from us on stage to him backstage. Yeah. I'll let you do the
2: math. <laughs> and uh, So like anyway. all porn movies, you stop it, and then, of course, you, you return later to it, right? We did not return what? later to that what? movie. No, what? No. That's not the way you watch a porn I can't. I can't, <laughs> and
0: I can't remember who had to return it, so <laughs> uh, it wasn't That's, me. Anyway, that was our oh. that was the one sort of blue lions and ghost story. I lo- oh. Since then, things have changed, Magnolia. Huge, Mag- magnolia, huge. <laughs> you got to start somewhere if you're going to do it. That's right. life. You start, yeah. yeah, start somewhere.
1: You are absolutely right. There was no way that I had not seen you guys back in the day cuz that was my scene too. I mean, I was the girlfriend passing out the flyers on the on the strip. So, I know <laughs> there's no way I haven't that. seen Yeah, thank you. <laughs> not if you're a band, but uh. yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I
2: <laughs> <laughs> Did you cover up other bands? What was... Did
0: you hit me? No, I'm so <laughs> I never happy.
1: did that, by the way. Okay. I'm
0: super happy that you asked that. Okay. Because <laughs> I've... At, out of all the questions... Yeah. <laughs> and besides the porno movie question... The thing is, is we were always super respectful of all the other posters and flyers. You know why? It was a lot of work. Yeah. And there was a yeah. lot of bands playing the scene, but that might mean somebody has to get on somebody else's shoulders to get the poster up yep. above the other one. But there was an art form to that. It'd be a great coffee table book: all the flyers and posters of that era. Right. Oh, so yeah. we should talk about that. Actually. Oh, new sparkle uh, production. That. We're doing movies, we're doing soundtracks, (laughs) and now we're doing coffee Coffee table table books.
1: There's a market for that, for sure. Like, you know. There might be. Those
0: flyers are out there floating. I mean, I see pictures on eBay. Oh, yeah. $20 for a Lions and Ghost Flyer. I'm like, you're (laughs) (laughs) joking. That was printed at Charlie Chan's for three (laughs) cents. Yeah. Well no. thank you so much This was great It was what? really nice to meet this both was really of you. fun Thank you so for nice. taking the time Out to chat Oh yeah today. thank you it For coming really out nice to the to valley
1: Okay wait I do have One more question Sorry Go ahead Will there be more Lions and Ghosts Now that you and Rick Have, have reconnected Will there be more More songs at least If not an album
0: So Rick and I have A couple new songs started I'm still waiting to hear the answer back on the text. From <laughs> yeah. And, don't wait a year this time because maybe not, he didn't get them. I'm not going to. I texted <laughs> him the other day. He he actually wrote me and thanked me for doing this for everyone that was in the band because he told me he didn't have the energy to do this. <laughs> and I sure. said, well, I do. Yeah, we have a couple things in the works. I don't know when or what, but we also have a treasure trove to some of a lot of outtakes and demos and different versions. I have a whole alternate version of our second record that's, a lot more in keeping with what we sounded like before we changed directions and made our second record. Yeah, that, that's a whole other. Story that is a yeah. whole. We'll, we'll that's go part to. two. And, and maybe yeah. you can have me come back, and we'll do that. We'll somehow get that second record out, and we can talk about it.
2: Okay. That. And, then, yeah. and Then we can go into odds and sods and whatever that's else you got. Good who
0: references. Yeah. <laughs> I like.
1: and, we, and then we can promote. You can come back again, and we can promote the book of flyers.
0: Oh, okay. Well, sure. You know, you can hear my brain clicking. <laughs> right no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, thank you. Yep.
0: Yes, Wonderful. Thank
1: you. It was Yay. really nice to meet you. We did
2: it. Let's have some donuts. <laughs> so, Holly, do you remember seeing Lions and Ghosts? Do you have any recollection? I know we went to a lot of shows back in the 80s, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood specifically. I know you saw Guns N' Roses. I know you saw... Everything. I saw I
1: Jet saw... Boy. I saw Faster Pussycat. All these L.A. bands, on the glam bands on the Sunset Strip. I am sure that I must have seen Lions and Ghosts, and I would guess either at Gazari's or at the Whiskey, the Roxy, but I don't remember offhand, but I dig this stuff. This is great, this is a fun record to listen to.
2: Yeah, and it's back. It's on Sparkle Plenty Records. The album is called Velvet Kiss, Lick of the Lime. It's available everywhere.
1: What a great guy. It was fun, really fun to have him in the studio. And thank
2: you to Wendy Brinford Jones for bringing him to us. Thank you to you for bringing all those donuts.
1: (laughs) That nobody ate.
2: What? It was nice to have everybody in the garage. Hopefully, we'll have more of those soon, eventually, one day.
1: Yes, please. Okay. Yes, please. All right.
2: We have new episodes every Friday. Please like and subscribe and do all that fun stuff. What other fun stuff can they do?
1: Why do you make that sound like a question? Because we definitely have new episodes every Friday.
2: I'm always surprised. It's always <laughs> a shock. But- Like what? We did another one? Yeah. So I am surprised, but it's very consistent. We have a new episode every Friday.
1: And you can find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Beautiful. Okay. Well, until next Friday when we have a new episode. This is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.